This morning, we're going to do things a little bit different than we're used to. Um, Today, we want to give you a chance to kind of get some answers to some questions that maybe have popped up in your mind over the last few weeks. Pastor's been preaching a series on what the Bible says about the future, things that are to come. And uh, I've had a good time talking to some of you one-on-one and just kind of hearing some of your feedback and some of what you're thinking. And uh, so today I'm really excited because we're going to be able to address some of those questions. And also what we're going to do in just a minute, um, when, actually when you came in the door, you received a worship folder. One of those tear-out panels says, your question for Pastor Mark or something like that. If, if a question pops into your mind while we're talking here, especially early on, if you just jot that question down and about uh, maybe 10 minutes into it or so, I'm going to ask the ushers to come in, pick those up, and then somebody's going to go through them and choose three of those questions for us to handle, just so we can't do all of them because of time. But um, we've gone through and selected uh, quite a few out of the list that we've gotten, and I think it's going to be exciting for you today. Pastor, why did we uh, decide to do this format? I think because you talked me into it. It was because I talked you into it. Awesome. (laughs) By the way, I I just was, didn't you enjoy being in the worship service today? You know, like I always say, worship is given to God, but man, doesn't it do us good. I I just came here and it reset me. You know, it just put me back to default setting because you go through a week, you deal with so much stress and what Satan tries to do in your life, and you just come in here and worship God, and it just really excites me. And on a personal note, if I do the math right, Lance and Jenny have been with us two years today. Haven't you been blessed by that couple and their family? Thank you. Wow. I appreciate them so much. Um, what we've done, as Lance said a few moments ago, is we've, we've been harvesting questions because, you know, in a, in a uh, four or five week series, there's no way that we can cover everything about prophecy. And it's a, it's a, sometimes it's a nebulous area, too, because there aren't real clear answers sometimes. God gives us just a hint at, at something, and then oftentimes people, preachers, take it and run with it, and the next thing, it doesn't look a whole lot like the Bible. So what, we're, what we've asked is that you would just submit to us the questions that you have, and, and with a congregation our size with three services like this, um, there's no way in the world we're going to get to all the questions. What we've tried to do is we've tried to find the questions that were asked most frequently and then ask those questions. And so if we don't get to your question, if you submitted a question, I'm really sorry about that, but you're welcome to contact me, and I will tell you I don't know privately. So uh, in any event, I will say that a lot today. I'll, just a couple things, Lance, before we get started. Um, when I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. Prophecy is one of those subjects that that you have some clear statements in the Bible about, and then there are some things that you have hints about. When, I, when I'm telling you clearly what the Bible says, I'll try to set that apart from when I'm getting into my own personal thoughts about it so that, you know, when you walk away from here today and you say, well, I don't know if I really see that in the Bible, I want to make sure that if, if I'm just telling you what, I'm, what I think I'm seeing, I set that off and set it apart. So All right. here we go. Okay, good. Um, the whole premise of our series, Glimpse, has been um, that, you know, God's got all these things set up and something's about to happen. But why is it that you think that the end is so close? Why, what, what makes you believe that? Well, that's, that's a great question. And, and one of the, I mean, there's something even more fundamental than that, and that is, are we coming to an end? Because I think a lot of people look at life like, you know, it's going to go on indefinitely until, until uh, you know, global warming just fries us all. Or until, <laughs> By the way, it's been warmer lately. Have you noticed that in the fall? I love it. As a Texan, I love global warming, you know. No, that's... You want to get out the aerosol? Yeah, I guess, right. It's not like that. But when I look at, um, there, are certain, there are certain things I look at in the world today that make me think that perhaps indeed we are in the last days. And first of all, the Bible does talk about the last days. It talks about it a lot. In fact, 
You'll, sometimes they'll call it the latter times or the last days, and God will say in the last days this is going to happen. But there, there, uh, there's several things that make me think this heavily. One is Israel. You know, um, Israel, of course, was God's chosen people. God made a covenant with Abraham. His grandson Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. God entered a covenant relationship with them, and he said, you know, if you will serve me, I'll bless you, and I'll make your, your nation last forever. But if you, you know, if you read the Bible and the Old Testament, you find out the Israelites really struggled with that. They had a hard time. They, they really could not string together years of serving God, and finally God said, that's enough, and he let them go into captivity. In, in the time of King David's grandson, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was more idolatrous than the southern kingdom, so they went into captivity early. If uh, memory serves correct, I think it was 722 B.C. But by 586, the southern kingdom had gone into captivity. And that was roughly, of course, 2,500 years plus ago. And from that point until 1948, Israel did not exist as a sovereign nation. God had said many times, and, and I just I threw this, this verse in here. And, and, and several times today, I'm going to refer to Ezekiel 37 and 38. Those are very, very important prophetic chapters for the last days. And God is talking about this, this battle that's going to take place that will involve Israel. And here's what he says in Ezekiel 38, 11, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. Now, what, what the story here is, God has called his preacher, Ezekiel, out to the cemetery. And he said, I want you to preach. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a preacher. I know if God wants me to preach, there's going to be a crowd there. Ezekiel gets there, and there's nothing there but bones. But not just bones. They're dead, dry bones. They, these people have been dead for a long time. I've preached in some dead churches before but I've never had to do this. And uh, Ezekiel said, you know, what do you want me to say? And God gives him the message. And so Ezekiel just starts preaching to these dead bones. And all of a sudden, in his vision, uh, flesh and sinew and muscle and, um, you know, come, come up on these bones. They jump up. They become a great army. So Ezekiel's a little curious about that to know what he's seen. And so this is what the verse is saying. Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying we have become old, dry bones. Our hope is gone. Our nation is finished. For 2,500 years, that's what it looked like. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again. Return home to your own land. Did you notice, do you see that twice? God said, I'm going to bring you back to your own personal land. He didn't say, I'm going to give you another chance, and you're going to be in some of the landmass. He said, I'm going to bring you back to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I've done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. So, um, you know, for 2,500 years, this prophecy lay dormant. And no wonder, you know, we have the hindsight, of, we have the, the benefit of hindsight in history. You know, no wonder these bones were dry, and, and they've been dry for a long time. We know now that there are about 2,500 years that this prophecy lay, lay there. Mm. But in 1948, you know the story. If you know history, you know that uh, because primarily of the Holocaust, uh, the Western powers decided it was time for Israel to have their own place again. And in 1948, Star of David was raised, flag was raised over Israel. 1967, Israel got back the entire city of Jerusalem just as God, God had promised. And, and it isn't just in Ezekiel. There are many places in the Old Testament where God was telling Israel they were going to get their land back. And so I think that's the primary sign. Daniel 12, 4 says that knowledge and travel are going to explode in the last days. All you have to do is look at the last 100 years and see how that's, I mean, knowledge, look at the last 10 years. No. Um, also, t we talked about this before, there are going to be some things that will happen in the tribulation. I think we're going to see the cold winds off the tribulation blow into our generation. We're already seeing a lot of the things the Bible talks about taking shape in the tribulation, starting to come together now. And then, I don't, 
I mean, you guys take a look at world history. Doesn't it just make sense that we're in the terminal generation? I mean, look at, look at world history. 5,800 years of, war, of recorded history, you know, and pretty much the, the world was the same as it's pretty well been from the beginning. I mean, there have been some inventions and, of course, a little bit of the Industrial Revolution. But just look at the last 100 years and all the inventions that have taken place, and I really think it points to the fact that we are living in the last times. Hmm. So uh, what would you say then, uh, one, of the, one of our questions is, would you believe then that there are, there's nothing left that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back and start, for Jesus to, to, you know, for the rapture to happen and for all these events to start, start going? Well, I would say no, but with this caveat. Nothing I know of, you know. <laughs> okay. I mean, it could be that there, there's some sign in the Bible that God has given us that's kind of like below the surface that I can't. But to my knowledge, there is not one more thing that has to happen before Jesus comes back. Wow. Maybe it'll be this morning. Maybe today. Wow. It'll be good. Um, <laughs> We may not even get to do this in 11. Wow. And then the Lord can answer the questions. There you go. We can ask him. I've got <laughs> it won't be about questions. what's going to happen. It'll be what did happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so what do you believe then the, the, the next prophetic event is to fall into place? I'm, I'm guessing that's... Well, <clears throat> I just think we're going to see more and more, like I said a few moments ago, I think we're going to see more and more signs of the things that God says will happen in the tribulation beginning to take shape today. Uh, I don't... I personally think the next thing on the calendar is the rapture. What are some of these things that you're saying that we see in the tribulation kind of working their way into this culture? Well, you see, you see, the, like we talked last week, the centralized global government begin to take shape. You see the lines falling down between uh, cultures and peoples and governments and so on. And not all that's bad, but we just know that that's something that's going to take place in the tribulation. Um, it, the information explosion, which allows, um, you know, when, when the Bible talks about something happening in the tribulation, the whole world seeing it before satellite TV, that wouldn't have been possible, but it is possible today. Hmm. All right, that's, that's great. Um, you've, ta- you've touched on this in the series a little bit, and somebody had a question, I guess kind of some, some clarification on it, but what is your view on whether we'll go through the tribulation or will the rapture come first? Wow, that's big, because there are, there are Christians who have three different viewpoints about the tribulation. And in case this is your first time to be here today, the Bible talks about seven years uh, in which the world's going to go through the worst horrors that's ever been through. And considering what our world's been through, they've got to be pretty bad. Um, during that time, we know the Antichrist will have his reign for seven years. At the end of the reign, Jesus Christ will come back from heaven with us, and um, he'll rule and reign. So the question is, will we go through all or any of the tribulation? And there are three different viewpoints on that. So one viewpoint says that uh, we will go through all the tribulation. And if you read Revelation, I, I'm not really into that one. I don't like that one at all. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's some that say, well, we're only going to go through half of it. We're going to go through the first part of the tribulation, but God's going to get us out of here before the great tribulation takes place. Uh, one view that's kind of akin to that says that uh, the really good Christians are going to go up in the rapture, and the Christians who haven't been so good are going to hang around for half the tribulation. And uh, while, I, while, while that would be great incentive for preaching, I'm not really sure that... Uh, the, the Bible says that at all. But the primary view and the view that I hold is that we're going to go up before the tribulation begins. And there, there are three reasons why oh, I hold this. And I know that I could be talking to somebody here today and you say, well, Mark, I see it differently. And, and that's up to you. And if you want to hang around for the tribulation, that's okay with me too. I mean, you just, I, every once in a while I'm preaching somewhere and somebody comes up and says, hey, I believe we're going to go through part of the tribulation. And I'm saying, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. You go ahead. I'm going up with the first elevator. Here. <laughs> Here's, the, here's, here's some reasons why I believe the, trib, the rapture will happen before the tribulation. First of all, the tribulation is not about us. The 
tribulation is about God judging the world and God giving one more chance to Israel, one more time to reach out to Israel. It is about Israel. Um, in verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is another chapter I'll refer to a lot, but in the entire context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God is talking about the second coming when Jesus comes back for us. That's when he says he'll come like a thief in the night. Um, and then he goes on to talk some about the, the last days or whatever. But if, if, in verse 9, the Bible says this, very, very important verse. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Now, the, the tribulation itself is when God pours out his wrath. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at first blush, when you look at that word salvation, it looks like God wanted to save us. And, you know, like when we trust Jesus and, and, and the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and t God takes us to heaven. But it's not that kind of salvation there specifically that the Bible is talking about. The Greek word there for salvation is the word rescue. Now, read that line again and, and think about that. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive rescue <clears throat> through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, when you read that context, it's about the coming of the Lord and uh, when, when Jesus comes back for us. So I, I don't believe that... <clears throat> excuse me, that, that um, we will suffer wrath. God, God, of course, is going to get us out of here before it happens. There's just one, little, one more little thing in the Bible that makes me believe, and, and there are other things, but one more thing I want to share with you uh, why I don't think we're going to go through the tribulation. And Revelation is a very, very important book for us. No wonder God gives a blessing or promises a blessing to anyone who reads Revelation and understands it. Um, Revelation is, is pretty well comprised of clear-cut parts. In chapter 1, Jesus shows up. You know, his apostle, his disciple, John, is on the island of Patmos. By this time, John's about 90. Jesus would have been uh, in heaven, you know, after the ascension for probably around 60 years. And John's on Patmos. He's a pastor by this time. And all of a sudden, he turns around and he looks, and there's Jesus. So in chapter 1, Jesus is there in all his glory. Then in chapters 2 and 3, these are very important chapters that the church needs to pay a lot of attention to. Jesus begins to address seven specific churches in Asia Minor. Thyatira, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, Smyrna, you know, all these churches. And the Lord has specific things that he's saying to each one of these churches. At the end of each one of his messages, there is, there is the same line. You know, I was taught in school, I know you were too, Lance. Anytime when God repeats something in the Bible, it's like saying, pay real close attention to this. If you find it twice, it's very important. If you find it more than that, God is saying, don't miss this. Seven times after, after the message to each one of the churches, there's this line. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. After each message, same thing. Anybody who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Chapters 4 and 5 take us to heaven, and we get to take a look at what's going on in heaven while, you know, the, while the tribulation is going on on earth. But when you go into chapter 6, you are very clearly in the tribulation. Chapter 6, I believe, is the beginning of the tribulation, and it goes all the way through chapter 19. Interestingly, right in the middle of that 6 to 19 spread where the Bible talks about the tribulation, there is this line in Revelation 13, verse 9. He that has an ear, let him hear. What's missing? Two things are missing. The Holy Spirit is missing and the church is missing. We've already read in 1 Thessalonians that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit who is restraining the influence of the Antichrist will restrain until he's taken out of the way. That's another reason why I believe we're not going to be here during the tribulation because the Holy Spirit, the one who is restraining all the evil, is going to be taken out. It's kind of hard to imagine how the church could continue operating without the very one you know, the Lord has given us to, to lead the church. 
but I just find that interesting. You know, up till, up till the church, end of the church age, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. But in Revelation 13, 9, he that has an ear, let him hear. No church because the church is gone. You, you mentioned a second ago when you were talking about that, that um, there was, that, that God wants to give Israel another chance. And you've, I know I've, I've heard the phrase, I've heard you use the phrase the last couple of weeks, God has unfinished business with Israel. Can you kind of clarify what that is? What, what, what are we talking about there? Well, God has a special relationship with Israel. And from the very beginning, he had plans. And things didn't go well. I mean, I'm, that didn't come as any surprise to God. But John chapter 1 says that he came into his own people and his own did not receive him. But God is not going to leave them. God's not going to abandon them. Very clearly, God, when he makes a promise to any of us, he keeps his promise. Just like how many of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how many of us have not lived for the Lord like we should? But he still keeps his promise, right? He never abandons us. And the same Lord that will never abandon you will not abandon his promises to Israel. God came along to Daniel. We, you know, this is a, Daniel was a prophet who prophesied five, 500 years plus before Jesus was born. And God said to him, 490 years is going to be how long it's going to take before I take care of everything. You know, I'm going to finish transgression. I'm going to seal up prophecy. I'm going to put my anointed king on the throne, who would be a Jewish king, our Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, after 483 years, he said, it's gonna, the anointed one is going to die, and it's going to look like he hasn't accomplished anything. But he said, seven years are left. Now, we're in that break. We're in that point where the clock has stopped between you know, God's work before Jesus came and then those seven years where God is going to finish the deal with Israel. That's what the tribulation is all about. And so God wants one more time to reach out to Israel. I still believe that many, many Jewish people will come to faith during the tribulation. Okay. Great. I've got a question. I want to follow up with that in a second. We want to take just a second, though. If you have a question, and you've already written that down on the piece of paper, would you just hold that up, and maybe I can have a couple ushers in the back help me if you just come on in here, and let's pick those up. If you, actually, if you, let's do this. If you have a question, let's just pass them right into these middle aisles right here. Across from here, just pass them on down. And uh, up in the balcony as well, if I could get an usher to help me collect some up there. Let's do this in the balcony. Let's just pass them to the ends, all the way down here to the ends. That way everybody can read your question on the way down. <laughs> Maybe they can answer it for you. Go, oh, that was a dumb question. <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna, to uh, keep going, Pastor. Um, you said you believe a lot of people, um, a lot of those in Israel will be saved uh, right. during the tribulation. What's your, um, what's your view on if people who are left behind, so people who are alive now, the rapture happens, the tribulation starts, will they be able to be saved during the tribulation? That's... That's a gray area for me, and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know for certain that I know all of the answer for that. But I'll tell you what I believe, and I'm piecing this together from a number of the scriptures. I believe that uh, people who have had an opportunity to accept Christ in this life, when Jesus comes, I believe that door will close. And there are a couple of reasons why I believe that. But now, having said all that, I don't know that for certain. But if you're here today and you're saying, well, I'm not really sure I accept Jesus and I'm going to wait till the rapture, and then I'll get left behind. I read the left, you know, the Tim LaHaye books, and, and those are great. I'm not, I'm not knocking them. But somebody would say, well, I'm going to wait, and if Jesus comes in, I'll know it's certain, and I won't take the mark of the beast, and I'll go to heaven. If you're thinking that today, I'd sure want you to recalibrate your thinking for a couple of reasons. One is, the Bible does say this, and this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it talks about after the Antichrist comes and the beginning of the tribulation happens. The Bible says, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. They will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. 
You know, when you got saved, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you didn't just get saved because it just popped into your head. The Holy Spirit of God came into you and, and drew you towards salvation. The Bible says no one can accept Christ unless the Holy Spirit of God draws them. I really believe that uh, in the tribulation, I believe the Holy Spirit's influence is going to be greatly lessened in our world. And I believe those who are left behind, who had an opportunity to receive Christ, I don't, I don't know that they'll have another opportunity. Another thing that I, I look at there is, uh, I look at patterns in the Bible. And the greatest pattern of the rapture is the ark, the flood. And Noah preached, and he gave people ample opportunity. But when the flood came, the door was closed, and they couldn't get in. So I, I just, I don't believe that those who, who have had an opportunity, and especially those who come from the Gentile church, people who were part of the Gentile church, I just don't know that they'll have another chance. Okay. Um, so I guess we, we're kind of assuming something here you said, and it kind of answers one of my questions, but I wanted to know if people will be saved during the tribulation. Oh, yeah. There, I, I believe there'll be millions of people who will be saved in the tribulation. And again, I just want to preface this by saying there's a whole lot that I don't know for sure, but I do know that there will be many people who will be saved in tribulation. For instance, the Bible talks about 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each tribe. This is in Revelation chapter 7. And the Bible says that they will be sealed, which means that they will be able to go out of the tribulation and they won't be harmed, at least for the duration of their testimony. These, and I've heard, I, perhaps the best illustration I've heard of these is, uh, of this is someone said that's 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. That would be interesting <laughs> to watch too. Um, then in Revelation 11, the Bible talks about two witnesses. It looks like they're probably prophets from the Old Testament time that God brings back on the scene who will, who will give the message of salvation. And then in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says this angel will come down and proclaim the gospel that all the world will hear. And once again, without satellite television, that wouldn't be possible. But again, the angel's going to give the gospel. And then in Revelation 7, this is what's really interesting. There's this number that's so big that nobody can, can count it. And, and it, there's this back and forth going on between people in heaven asking, what is this number? Who are these people who have suddenly shown up? And, in, and the Bible says... Uh, let me read the whole text. Revelation 7, verse 13. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are those, who are these who are clothed in white? Where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. So there will be people who will be saved in tribulation. Throughout the ages, God has given, a, he's like a, I, was, I think I preached this last Sunday, God always sets up a test. In the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve, would they believe God and, and leave, the, leave the tree alone that was the knowledge of good and evil? In our generation, it's will you accept Jesus Christ or reject him? In the tribulation, it's will you accept the mark of the Antichrist and go into his kingdom or will you, will you reject the mark and, and be in the kingdom of our Lord? So yes, there'll be, I think, millions of people saved in the tribulation. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the Antichrist, and this is kind of one of those, uh, I guess, trivia things. I don't know, but do you think we, we might know who the Antichrist will be before we get evacuated out of here? Wow. I'm going to show my age here. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. That would have been my teen years. And, and there was all this resurgence of interest in prophecy. You know, Hal Lindsey had written his book, Late Great Planet Earth. And people were talking about the rapture and, and like I said last week, putting bumper stickers on their cars. So people got really interested about who the Antichrist was. I remember when I was a teen listening to a sermon. This guy waxed eloquent for about 45 minutes. And he, he like assigned number values to letters of the words. And this is true, Lance. I oh. promise you. This is a fact. 
He, he, he preached a message about how Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. I mean, he did the math. I mean, it took us probably 35 of the 45 minutes to get there, but he did the math and showed us how Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. I don't think Henry Kissinger feels good enough to be the Antichrist anymore. But back in those days, you know, he was negotiating for peace in Vietnam and all that. Throughout the years, people have had ideas that the Antichrist was this person or that person, even Antiochus Epiphanes uh, in our time frame, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, you know, and, and people had all these ideas about this person is the Antichrist, that person is the Antichrist. Here's what the Bible says about that. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the Bible says, for this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So again, I just want to take us back to that paradigm where we see right now the Holy Spirit is in our, work, our world. He's working with the church. He's holding back the influence of evil, the kingdom of the Antichrist. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, which is when we get taken to heaven, then at that point the Antichrist is going to be revealed and people will know who he is. So I think that's just one trivia question we won't get. I mean, you know, we'll be in heaven. I don't think at that point I'm going to be too concerned about who he is. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know, at that point he'll, he'll be on the earth. And maybe we will know. I mean, you know, it could be that we, that person is out there and we know that person is a public figure but I don't think we'll ever know that person is the Antichrist if, if you're saved. All right, good. We're going to turn the corner just a little bit here. Um, talking about heaven, eternity. And uh, one of the questions was, I believe we'll know our family and friends. What do you think? This is a great question. Um, if, you, if you ask the question, will I, will I know my family and friends, there's really a, a more fundamental question, and that is, will we retain our identity? I have, I have some friends who believe in reincarnation, and they're, they're coming back, they think, but they're not sure what as. You know, maybe it'll be a, a gorilla or a squirrel or a nut or a leaf or something, but they're going to come back. So to me, you know, if I'm going to know you when I get to heaven, the big question is, am I still going to be Mark, and are you still going to be who you are? Uh, because that's what it would take. Otherwise, we'd be strangers. So I, I go back to that more fundamental question and ask, when people go to heaven... Are they the same person? You know, are you the same gender? Are you the same, you know, you, you know, have the same background? you have the same record? Um, and, and the Bible gives us some pretty good ideas about that. On, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was on the earth, he took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and went up to the very top of the mountain, and God pulled back some of the glory of Jesus. And while he did that, all of a sudden, up come Moses and Elijah. Now, that's really interesting because Moses and Elijah are typical of the two groups of people who will be on the earth at the time of the rapture because Moses died and was buried and Elijah the Bible says was caught up to heaven well isn't that cool that I mean Lord Jesus is there with somebody who died and was and and you know went to heaven and Elijah who never did have to die which I think signifies the fact that the Lord is he's Lord over all the rapture those who have gone on and and those of us who hopefully will be alive when Jesus comes back but the key that I would point out here is that Moses is still Moses and Elijah is still Elijah Jesus knew them. They knew Jesus. Evidently, they interacted with the disciples. So, and, and what's cool is Moses knew Elijah, and Elijah knew Moses, and they were separated by hundreds of years. So, yeah, I do believe that. David said about his baby, I can't bring him back, but I can go to be with him, which signified he thought he would know his, his baby in heaven. This is a really cool verse. In John chapter 8, verse 56, the Pharisees were giving Jesus a hard time calling him an upstart, and they were, you know, they were saying, uh, we're of Abraham, you know, and, and you're just this carpenter out here who's got this deal going. 
And this is what Jesus said. This is, this is just one of those little lines that if you, know, if you don't pay attention to it, you might just read right past it. John 8, verse 56. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Well, if he'd stopped right there, you know, we'd have understood that. Abraham died and he thought, well, someday the Messiah is coming. But look at what Jesus said. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. Which means that when Jesus stood there at the station and said goodbye to everybody when he left to come to this earth abraham was there to wish him well and see him off and he was excited about jesus coming to the earth so as i look at the bible it appears to me that the people who die and go into eternity they keep their same identities they do seem to know each other the rich man knew lazarus when he was even in hell and he knew abraham so yeah i believe we will all right in fact i think the relationship that we have with each other will be even better and stronger. The Bible says we know in part right now, but in heaven we'll know, we'll know the rest of the story. All right, that's great. Um, this is kind of obviously pertinent to us because we're all uh, Americans here, but we, why isn't the United States mentioned in the book of Revelation anywhere? Wow, this is the question, uh, and I've been preaching meetings since I was 16 years old, and at the end of, you know, whenever a minister speaks at, in a revival meeting or a conference or seminar or whatever, someone's always going to come up and ask you questions. And I've had a lot, of, a lot of questions that people ask that get repeated. But this is the most repeated question I've ever had asked. Where is America in prophecy? Because when you read Revelation, or you read Daniel, or you read Ezekiel, or Zechariah, or a lot of the prophecies in the Bible that talk about the future, very clearly you see Israel. There's no doubt about that. It looks very clearly like you see Europe, because it looks like the Antichrist Confederation will be based in Europe. And in Ezekiel 37... You know, if you just read the land masses, you can identify Russia, you can identify Iran and Iraq, which is very interesting for us today. Uh, you, can, you can identify certain African nations, but you don't seem to find the United States. So there's the question, where is the United States in prophecy? Here's, and again, I'm going to get into this gray area where I clearly don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to just tell you my own thinking. Uh, I always want to know which America, the America five minutes before the rapture or the America five minutes after the rapture? I don't know of any nation that will be as materially affected by the rapture as the United States will be. And I'm not saying that there aren't other nations who have more believers in America. It's just that America is such a powerful nation. And there, there are a large number of believers in the United States. Um, and we're a, we're a polarized nation along many lines. Mm -hmm. But I do think we are becoming even more separated by those who have faith in Jesus and those who don't have faith in Jesus. And to some degree, that's the fault of the church. But I do believe that five minutes after the rapture, the United States is going to be a totally different nation. And my guess is that we will fall right in line with the Antichrist and the European Consortium. All right. I've got a question here. We got picked up from the floor. Um, knowing that we're not going to the tribulation, why would God go into such detailed information to tell us about it? Well, because the Bible will still be around during the tribulation. Hmm. And so that's, that's a super question. Because I, I, I've thought about this many times. Why are there parts of prophecy that are so hard for me to understand? And to some degree, it may be that they weren't written to me. They were written for me to have a, you know, some sort of idea that God has a plan and maybe a hazy outline of what God wants to do. But at the same time, the Bible will be there in the tribulation. Uh, you realize, now think about this. You know, those of us who have grown up in church all these years, we sort of get the idea that it's this mythical kind of movie kind of thing. You realize if Jesus came today, I think the tribulation would start in the morning. And so, you know, a lot of what's left behind here, the Bible, the, you know, even, even broadcasting, tapes, CDs, maybe even a few preachers will be left behind. I don't know. Um, 
Here, another question. Wouldn't some people have to survive the tribulation so that the 1,000-year reign of Jesus uh, would have people to be judged? There will be people who survive the tribulation. Um, and they will live into the kingdom. They will live past Armageddon, and they will go into the kingdom. I believe if they are not saved, they will be instantly judged. But there will be believers from the tribulation who will live into the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. They will have children, and the Bible does indicate that those children will have an opportunity to choose for Jesus or against Jesus. Okay. This is the, the third question we got from the floor, and it's kind of a, a follow-up to that. But in the millennium, will Jesus rule on earth over sinners, or will it be in heaven? Well, I believe he will rule on the earth um, because the Bible does indicate that he will rule from Jerusalem. Now, whether he'll be completely restricted to that, that space, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I know he will rule from Jerusalem. Okay. We've just got a couple minutes left, so I want to uh, move through these pretty quick. Um, what happened to the people who died before Jesus was born? That's a great question. I, I believe that the people who died before Jesus, you know, the people who accepted, who believed by faith that Jesus was coming. The Bible says Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. So I believe the people in the Old Testament were saved, Lance, just like you and me. Hmm. You know, there's some people who have the idea that, you know, after Jesus, people are saved by faith, by believing, but before Jesus, they were saved by bringing sacrifices and doing good works, and nothing could be further from the truth. And the Bible says, you know, Abraham had faith and God accredited his faith for righteousness. So just like, you know, we believe Jesus did come, they believe Jesus would come. And so our confidence is in God's, God's promise and God's commitment to us. Uh, but there are people who, have, and maybe good people, and, and maybe someone's even here today and you're of this opinion, and I'm not trying to get after you because I, I'm not completely sure. I, I wouldn't stake my soul on what I'm about to say to you, but I'm going to tell you what I think. There are people who have the idea that before Jesus came and lived his life and died on the cross and rose from the grave, that God kind of kept believers in a holding tank, waiting on whether or not Jesus would come. And there are those who believe that there were these, these two chambers in the center of the earth. One was paradise, and the other was Hades, or hell. And people uh, before Jesus came who were people of faith, they went to this paradise as a sort of glorified holding, holding bin, and the people who did not accept the Lord, who did, did not believe by faith, went to Hades. Um, I don't I don't buy that. I have a real problem with that. Uh, for one thing, it's a lot more from Greek mythology than it is from the Bible. And the Greeks in their mythology believed that there were two chambers in the center of the earth. One place was called Hades. The other place was the Elysian Fields, and the river Styx ran between it. So I look at that, and I think, I think there's been a lot more influence from, from, from Greek mythology than from the Bible. My personal belief is this, that just as just it is in our generation, so it was in the people before Jesus came. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Revelation says that in the mind of God, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So God was not saying, oh no, I'm biting my nails to see if this happens or not. God knew it was going to happen from the very beginning. And just this one more thing. When God came to get Elijah, which direction did he take him? <laughs> Up. Up. <laughs> not to the middle of the earth. All right. Good. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask, we got one final question here, and, um, you know, I'm particularly interested in this because um, Satan creates so much turmoil here on earth, and right. he's, uh, he's just all, all, the way, all, all the time creating problems. When does the Bible tell us, when will Satan be put in the lake of fire and be done permanently? Yeah, you know, I'm a sports fan. I have cheered for a lot of sporting events, you know. If, if my team won or, if, you, know, if, if, you know, if I'm pulling for something... It, I don't think I'm ever going to cheer as loudly. 
I mean, I know I will when Jesus comes, but <laughs> probably second to that, I will just cheer when Satan gets his. How many of you agree with me, right? Yeah. Okay. Just a little strange kind of thing that happens. When, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation to set up his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, here's what the Bible says. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So throughout the duration of the, tribula- uh, of the millennium, Satan will be bound. He will not be able to tempt. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. A few moments ago, we talked about how that there will be believers who are, ex- who are saved during the tribulation. They will live into the millennium, but they will have children. They will procreate, and those children will have a choice. At the end of that thousand-year reign, Satan is going to be loose for a little while to allow him the opportunity to tempt so that they too will have the choice. But at the end of that time, here's what I love to get to. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now, you know, in Judgment House, I love what we do because, you know, we're we're trying to dramatically depict heaven and hell. But one thing I want to make real clear from anyone who might have toured our Judgment House, please know Satan is not going to rule hell. (laughs) He is going to be getting the worst kind of punishment, much more, and the demons are not going to be having a good time there. They're going to get much more punishment than anybody else. And by the way, somebody could say, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? The truth of the matter is hell was made for Satan. Hell was made for his demons. Hell was not made for people. In fact, my question is, how could a God love us so much to give us his only son to keep us out of hell? That's That's the essential question. But the day is coming when uh, he will get bound up, he will be there, and he will be tormented. Listen to this. Day and night, forever. I mean, he's not going to just go there for a few years. He's going to get his throughout billions and billions of years. And as much as he bothers me, I'm sure glad for that. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, maybe, maybe you could just conclude our, our thing this morning with just let kind of tell us, why do you think that this is important that we talk about this? What's like our takeaway from this series? How does it affect us now? Well, I thought about this getting up here. You know, I, I feel kind of awkward. I was sitting over here enjoying worship, and I knew what, what we and I were going to do this morning. Whenever we ask somebody to, to give their idea about the future, usually it's because that person is very smart. Maybe that person has got a lot of exposure to, you know, politics or sports, and that's why they can prognosticate and tell the future. And I'm sitting over there thinking, I don't know anything. I'm not very smart at all. The exciting thing about it, though, is that God tells us what's coming up next. That's the only reason why I could set up here and tell you what's going to happen next is because God tells us. And it's very, very important for us. You know, Peter writes about the things that are going to happen in the last days, and he, he gives us this litany of events. You know, the earth is going to melt with, you know, it looks like maybe a nuclear explosion and stuff that Peter's talking about. But he gets to this question. He said, seeing that all these things are going to happen, what kind of people should we be? That's it right there. I mean, you know, seeing that the tribulation is coming, seeing that there's going to be an antichrist, seeing that Jesus is going to be ultimately victorious, what kind of people should we be? Which side should we choose to be on, you know? That's why it's so important that we're doing this. And I just want to say to anybody here today, if you've never accepted Jesus, just like when Noah was preaching and the door of the ark was open, I want you to know the door is open for you. 
You know, you may say, well, wow, this is crazy, wild and crazy stuff, and I don't know about this, but it is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And all of us have a choice to make. If you've never chosen to bring Jesus Christ into your life, I want to encourage you to do that. Don't do it because we've scared the fire out of you this morning, all right? Do it because you want Jesus Christ in your life, because that's the most important thing you can ever do.